0: Is another aspect that I think athletes can thrive in, like you, you not only can deal with a constructive criticism, you're actually many seek it out.
1: This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Ryan Spicer. Ryan played college soccer at Williams before playing professionally, and before starting his media sales career with MTV Networks, before after a short stop as a teacher at Cushing Academy when I was in high school. After fourteen years with Warner Media. He became the CRO for Atmosphere, the world's leading streaming TV service for businesses. Here he is, Ryan Spicer. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? Today on the show, we got Ryan Spicer. It's, it's hard for me to call you Ryan, uh, but R- Ryan was a teacher uh, at my high school at Cushing Academy growing up. Uh, Ryan, thank you for
0: joining so much. Yeah, good morning. It's great to see you, buddy. It's great to see you, too. It's actually just great to see that you made it past high school, to tell you truth, <laughs> You should have saw me in college. You s- <laughs> There were some questions back then. That was a question mark. You should have saw
1: me in college. Those people are even more surprised where I am today.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, God bless. You even went to a Catholic institution, too. I can't even imagine how that place survived. Right uh, uh,
1: barely, that's how. Um, so, so uh, Ryan, basically the the... The background on the show, right, we, our audience is really um, folks that are thinking about transitioning into a sales career, folks that are new to sales careers, and we we actually have a lot, a big part of our audience that are sales leaders, um, and, and it really, like, our guests are always former athletes that have found success in sales as well as veterans, um, and it, it aligns with the mission of shift group. So as you know, our company, we, we train former college professional Olympic athletes, as well as military veterans on the foundational skills of sales. And we introduce them to companies that understand their value. Um, the way the show likes we like to flow of the show is we kind of start with your sports career, talk through your own transition. Um, and, and I'm sure we're going to have some Cushing stories in there. Cause I think that was part of your transition um, and then we kind of end with with nuggets for the audience about what
0: you've learned um, in in your yeah. in your career so far. Does that sound like a good plan? Sounds good. I hope we can contain this to the time we have a lot of We will. I
1: promise. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I, I'm the in. two
0: of us aren't short on talking. That's the problem. <laughs>
1: That's fair. That's fair. Um, so we always start with a with a fairly broad question. I'd love to know if I tell if I ask you you know, to bring up some of your favorite memories of soccer, what are some of the first things that come to mind for you?
0: Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it's funny. Sometimes there's, a, I'd say it's a mix. There, There's a handful of games that, uh, you know, you remember special games, big victories. Um, you know, we had a, uh, collegiately, we had a game. We played St. Lawrence in the round of eight to go to the final four. And during that game, it snowed somewhere between uh, two to two to three inches alone during the game. Played a full ninety minutes. Played two um, non-sudden death overtimes, two sudden death overtimes, and then I think we went into eight or nine PKs, and we ended up we ended up winning it in the, uh. in the final PK to go to the final four of the year. And just you know the 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 memory of that game from the trip up there to the to the length of the game and the conditions of the game, and obviously you know the the celebration afterwards, and it. I, get into it even later. I'll, I'll tell you, it's interesting. I was actually pulled from that game. I was a goalkeeper. I was pulled uh, for the PKs and our, our you know, uh, backup goalkeeper went, And he just, he simply was better at PKs than me. And, um, you know, it was it, looking back, it was just a wonderful lesson. I think in the moment, maybe I was like, what, what's happening here? But the most important thing, it reminded me was winning. And it didn't matter. Like winning was the most important thing. The the the, the getting to that success, the result of the effort that we had put in. So, there are moments like that, but I'll tell you what I think about when I, when I, when I'm out on a field with my kids or when I'm reminiscing, it's, it's actually, it's training, it's practice. That's what I miss. I, I miss just exhausting yourself towards something, um, you know, having that, that, that focused time when you're out in a field, th- there was no anxiety when you were training. There was just do, right? You, you just, you went out there and you played and you, you left. And I think. I was very fortunate over time. Like I think, if you spoke to people when I was younger, when I was in high school, when I was college, afterwards, did I probably have actually different perceptions of me and my work ethic built over time? And so, you know, those in, in college would probably say, you know, while well, a bit of a clown, the work ethic was there, and you know, f- staying coming before to train or staying after, and and you know, I think part of it is I started to realize that you know, that continuum and that time might be running out at some point. So I wanted to savor every second, but I, I, I genuinely, I miss training. I miss having that to look forward to every day. I have missed, I miss just that the mix of work ethic and camaraderie with guys. Um, those are the the memories that stand out the most for me really. Yeah. and, And I think like people, people
1: that don't experience that don't understand how that like, that like daily competition with your teammates actually brings you closer, right? Because yeah. it's, it's yeah. the training piece, but it's also like that, that, those battles
0: are are why those, those folks are your best friends forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could go through things that, I mean, man, we would, you know, I think of some of my closest friends and the way we acted towards each other in a training environment. Um, but you, you fueled each other. And then there were the other moments. I mean, in high school, we got to a point I, you know, I grew up in Rhode Island and we had a, we were, I was so blessed by a great group of guys. And we were, we were by far and away the strongest team in New England. And so we just had to keep going further and further for competition. And so we were in a period, our sophomore, junior high school, I think it was, where a lot of times um, it would be Friday. And there was a dad who drove, Timmy Willard's dad drove, drove a 12-person van. And we'd all, like the majority of the team, literally the van would be waiting like after school. We pile in and we'd head somewhere, Philly, Richmond. So, and those trips, Friday night and Sunday night, back and forth for those tournaments. I mean, the 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 shenanigans that went on there, and just the camaraderie is built there between that and then, to your point, the battle on the field. Um, you know, again, I think I think back to the. the the friendships that I have and the friendships were fostered over those, those moments both on and off the field.
1: Totally. Totally. And, and, and again, like, we'll, we'll talk about this a few different times, but I always, I always liken that to like early in your sales career when you have that first job and you guys are, you're battling with with people every single day on the leaderboard, you're going through really hard things together with other people. It, It creates this similar atmosphere and similar relationships in a lot of cases. Some of my, closest friends that were at my wedding this summer were people that I started my career with 15 years ago. So it's, yeah. it's very similar there. How do you, how do you think your teammates um, from college and, and even your professional career, how do you think they would describe you?
0: It's funny. I do think at different points in life, people describe me a little bit differently. I can relate. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a quiet person. Uh, and I, I, I will, I, I'm not shy from from opening up my voice. I think people would, you know, would certainly say that I've never been shy from being vocal. Um, but I think, you know, committed, and uh, you know, people would reflect, and, and you know, my, my commitment. And um, I think over time, um, I've used, I think, as a as a business leader, I've benefited from the experience I had in the field to have a greater sense of empathy as well. Um, I would hope and I believe that people would reflect, um, especially now in, in a business environment maybe not collegiately on the field, but now, um, or afterwards I was playing like the, the sense of, um, the sense of empathy to understand and value, you know, where different people are at different points of the day, different points in their life, different points of their professional journey. Um, and and also like understanding and having great respect for the different roles that people play within a team. Uh, and I think that, you know, having experienced and living out different roles within a team gave me that experience going into work culture. And then I've only been able to benefit from even more experiences playing different roles on, on different teams, everything from the person who just needed to do anything that was asked to now being very fortunate in a spot where I'm you know, spearheading an entire sales.
1: Yeah, that, that's a really good parallel, right? Not everybody's gonna be the person uh, that gets the headlines, right? Like you need, everybody needs to, to fill their role for the team to win that's really what it comes down to. Um, now you, you obviously you went to an unbelievable college, but then you, instead of going right into a profession, you, you went into professional soccer. So talk to me a little bit bit about that. Was, was that always your plan? I mean, that was like really, obviously soccer, in the United States has come a long way. We work closely with major league soccer now, but back then it wasn't like a, a clear path. How did that happen? And
0: what was it like no it wasn't a clear path and you could probably put the word professional in quote i know my wife at least puts it in quotation marks <laughs> um <laughs> uh, but i think that it was the answer is it wasn't a clear path and the best i i guess the the best thing for me is i went i think i mentioned a few moments ago but there was a point like soccer wasn't my greatest my best sport early on when i was you know as a kid i loved baseball baseball is probably my best sport when I was, you know, before the age of 12, I played hoops as well. I played all, I'm fortunate to play all three in high school, but there's a point by the time I got, probably early in my high school career, I realized that first, hey, if I, if I wanna keep playing something beyond high school, it's gonna be soccer. This is a sport that I'm able to perform the best at. It might not have been my first thought, um, but I, again, I, I love playing the sport, but I loved competing, yeah. and I never wanted to walk off the field. So I said, okay, I'm gonna start, you know, putting more into this. And then in college, the same thing sort of happened it was just that I realized I never, I, I wanted to hold on to the moment of competition and the ability to be part of a competitive team. It wasn't so much that designation of playing pro. There's an element of that, but um, there's a there's a, there's a a writer, and I don't know if you ever came across him, uh, the Providence Journal. He actually grew up in my hometown of Barrington, Rhode Island by the name of Bill Reynolds. Went to high school with, with my mom as well. Um, he was... He sadly, he passed away this summer from cancer. Um, he was one of the most profound sports writers that I, I think uh, has been in that generation. Maybe not as acclaimed, but he always had this way of like seeing something in a different um, aspect than, than others did, or finding a kernel. and And he wrote an article. I can't remember if it came out um, towards the end of high school or at some point I was in college. But he talked about athletic mortality, and his point was every single person. Has an athletic mortality, and for some people, that's when you're seven years old. Yeah. Your mom or dad puts you out on a field, and you know you never really want to be out there. And at the end of that season, there's a pizza party, and that's it. And it's great. Um, a lot of people fortunate enough to kind of carry their athletics through high school, and then you know very fortunate, smaller number through through um, you know through college, then ultimately even a very very slim number of professionals. And the idea, though, is that he and, you know, I think it's funny. It's like even guys who we grew up cheering for, you know, most recently, like a Brady, right, embodies this. Like even he stretched it as far as you possibly could for an athletic mortality. But no matter who you are, that seven year old who never wanted to be on the place on the field in the first place, uh, the, the, the diehard high school athlete who maybe, you know, gave everything, just have enough talent to get to college or the GOAT at some point you hit your mortality, you hit, you hit a more, you you know, you become, you hit this mortality moment athletically. And I said, because it made me realize I wanted to stretch that moment of athletic mortality as far out as I possibly could. And I knew that um, soccer gave me an avenue to do that. And I, my love for the sport grew as I was able to play at higher levels and I just, something clicked and said, I, I want to do this. And I was really fortunate actually being at Williams, very much like that, like there's limitations on what you can, you know, what you can do out of season and the coaching and things like this, that actually fostered, um, a self-work ethic. Um, we have this, they actually just on the process of tearing it down was dingy. It was dingy and old when I was there and I've been out for a long time field house. And I used, there was a point in my junior and senior year, I would get up and I'd be there at six in the morning and I was just knocking the ball against the wall. And I was, and I was doing plyometrics and speed. Like, and it, no one was there and it was freezing it was in the middle of Berkshires. I, like I'm at a D3 school at Williams. Like, what, what is my goal? Right. But my goal was to keep playing wherever I could. And so, uh, you know, I used my spring break and I was able to I, I trained with a pro club over in England and just kept pushing and staying out in that field until someone told me that, hey, you know, we appreciate it, but but you're done. <laughs> and that's, you know, for me, I got to the point where um, I, I was, it was small, but someone gave me a paycheck to play this, play a sport and to compete. Right. The thing I think I want to do more than anything else in the world.
1: Yeah. And, and like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, by the way. Like we have, we have a lot of folks that come to us, they're playing in like minor league hockey or the, you know, these lower levels, whether it's soccer or football or, you know, European playing over in Europe. Yeah. And I, I always tell them like, listen, if you're young and single, and you don't have a family play for a few years like it's it's an unbelievable experience and you're to your point about mortality you only have a certain amount of years to do it um, yeah
0: i don't regret it for a second no. and i had a great mentor at the time who gave me the same you know encourage he had left brown and went and played basketball over in um in wales and he was like are you kidding me this isn't a choice this is what you go do yeah if you can. and that's you know that that's why i did it and and again, it was amazing. And uh, but there was a point in which my I realized a couple years in, I think I had a ten year old Grand Cherokee, and it needed a new transmission. And replacing that transmission was probably more than I had made in the season and a half. Of my life. <laughs> so there was it's time to get on with my life. Now, was
1: was Cushing and teaching was that always just a stop to be like, all right, I'm going to do this, and I, and then I'm going to kind of figure out
0: what's next? Um, possibly, it, it wasn't it wasn't a definitive pit stop. Okay, I went into it looking to see so I was very fortunate. I had a great I had some incredible youth coaches, uh, through my entire life, I, I had great, you know, coaching on the field. Um, but when I was 14, one of my coaches at the time got me into coaching. And so I started coaching very young kids at the age of 14. And, you know, realized I actually loved being on the field and even coaching people. And it was, you know, that early elements of leadership and coaching. And I even realized I was a better player from coaching others at the time. So um, upon graduating, I knew the playing wouldn't last that long. And I really thought there was a big part of me. that thought I would probably want to coach for the rest of my life. Yep. Um, I had always had a hankering to teach as well. And in, I was playing in the USL at the time and a couple of guys I played with or were coaching with at camps were, um, you know, one was, ha- was coaching and teaching at Worcester another one at Suffield and some other guys at the ISL schools in Boston. And so there, there was sort of like two paths that seemed that be opening one was go, you know, collegiate coaching and trying to catch on as an assistant. And the other was looking at, you know, into the New England prep school route. And, and because I really thought that I, there's a potential that I would, I, I thought I'd love teaching that the blend of the teaching and coaching it was was the one that I most immediately pursued. And that's how I found myself in North Central Massachusetts off of Route 2 for three years. <laughs> Good
1: old Ashburnham, baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah.
0: The now,
1: Let's talk, so let's talk a little bit about your transition into sales, right? Did you, how did that come across your plate? Was was there like hesitations when you heard the term sales? Because we spend a lot of time deprogramming athletes and veterans when they hear the word sales, there's a, there's a stigma to it still. and And even now, you know, 13% of jobs in the labor market, U.S. labor market are sales jobs and everybody sells, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But what was – how would you get over that hump? Was there a hump? And, like, what was the yeah. transition like?
0: So I'll tell you. I, I mentioned before I had a really great mentor um, who had followed a similar path out of college. Uh, when I knew that my time teaching and coaching, I, I wanted – effectively, I knew I wanted to try something else. And I didn't um, – I may – you know, I, I realized I, and I may still even go back to kind of teaching and coaching at some point. But I knew there was a – I wanted to at least – uh, attempt a different business venture. And so I started to think about all the qualities that were important to me in my next job. And I approached that mentor. One of the things he said to me, he's like, well, of all the qualities and characteristics you're describing, uh, I, I'm sure that exists elsewhere, but it happens to be here. And he was heading up sales, actually, the network VH1 at the time. And so I I will tell you your, your question about hesitation, a first of all, I immensely respected him, but at the same time, I never wanted to be, and still never want to be, and will never think of myself as a salesperson. I never wanted to be a sales guy. I never wanted to go into sales. I, to your point, this perception, this legacy thought of like what sales meant, I I, I don't know what I thought necessarily, but it wasn't what I thought, um, I, how I wanted to be perceived necessarily, or, you know, legacy perceptions of what that meant yeah. going in. But I, you know, Fortunately, I was attracted, I was, very, uh, I was I was very lucky to kind of get a door opened into do a world of media. I actually drove down to New York. Uh, I went into the, the account executive, the salesperson's office at the time, and I, and I begged her for the job. Like he opened the door for me, but he said, "I don't know if." It, and she said, "You're 26. Everyone else out there doing this job is 21 or 22 years old. She's like, in three months, you are going to hate this job." And I said it. I said, listen, I I come here with zero ego because I don't know this business. I just want to learn. I know that I want to learn. And I know that I want to learn something new. And this seems to be an environment where I'm going to learn a lot. And I'm going to be energized and enthused to keep that momentum going. And I said, you're wrong. Because in three months, I'm going to be the best assistant you've ever had. And I said, my only ask is, you hire me, you're going to get the best assistant for the foreseeable future. If I get there, as I plan to, then just... Open the curtain a little bit. You know, give me a peek behind the rest and help me maybe accelerate the rest of my career uh, because you know I'm doing this job more efficiently and better than than you otherwise would would expect out of this role.
1: Between between your hesitation in sales and you walking into that office, did you did you find did you find or did someone teach you the parallels between sports and sales that that like made you like, okay, I want to do this.
0: I don't think so. But I do think that again, I, I had a, the, the, the mentor, you know, the, the person who sort of opened that door took a similar path. Yeah. When I showed up there, I met a few folks like another guy who played football. He was a wide receiver at Siena. Like another guy who played baseball. You know, like I kind of saw some people who had similar paths. So there was like, oh wait. And so maybe that, you know, cognitively I didn't go, oh, there's sports. But like, but I recognized that, folks who I, you know, off the bat would respect just based on, seems like the path they took and that they'd have a similar background to myself, uh, that, that they were enjoying their job a lot. So yeah. it's okay. You know, like I, I would be foolish not to at least dive in and explore it.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the, the two nuggets that you just talked about, we talk about it in our program, but I want to call it out to the audience. The, the reason that you went in and were successful, I think is because you had a beginner's mindset, and a, and a thirst for knowledge, and you were driven by curiosity. Those two things, what whatever industry you want to get into from a sales perspective, you've got to you've got to go into it with that with that perspective. And we have a lot of twenty six to thirty two year olds that played professionally and are now starting, kind of starting at the bottom of the mountain top again. And I can tell the ones that are going to be successful because they have those two things.
0: Yeah, I think calling that out, you're you're absolutely right. And I, you know, I don't know, I actually want to give, you know, too credit to myself, but I do believe that I know I went in there. Um, you know, you ask people think of me, I'm sure people would say, actually, uh, I have a pretty strong ego. <laughs> but I know I went in there, and at least internally, and I hope externally communicated to people that I didn't know that business. Uh, th- that was not an expertise of mine. Why should I be successful? Why should I expect to be handed a job other than an entry-level one? But I did want to learn. And I know, actually, oddly enough, when I left Viacom, uh, South Paramount at the time, there was a senior executive who, funny you mentioned that, like he, what he said to me, he said, Hey, I, I wish you luck. I wish you were staying. One of the things I will tell you and hope you continue is you were successful in your tenure here because of your curiosity. And I think you, uh, it's really important you've called those out because you, you, you can't, first, you can't assume anything, you have to be comfortable. And like, don't worry about it. It's awesome that you don't know anything. Yeah. Like embrace that. It's great. No one's expect. remember, no one's expecting you to. And then you go with that and then you're going to, you, you have all, like the one thing to remember is that as an athlete, you have all these qual. you know, qualities, characteristics, and traits, which are going to help fortify and strengthen as you learn. And they're going to accelerate your learning process. They're going to push you forward faster. Um, and that was my athletic background combined with actually that teaching and coaching background. Yeah. I'll never forget when I pitched my first promotion there and everyone sort of sat in and they were like, Whoa, we didn't know that side of you. I'm like, well, yeah, like I, I had a life. I had a start of a career before I showed up here Yeah, and all that stuff mattered and it, it went into play, right? Like you're going to find you've been dealing in these emotional situations and in interpersonal relationships as a team and as a leader or potentially as the last guy off the bench you're going to be able to call on those experiences to navigate things. Um, and you have this like pool of, you know, of resources to call on that, that others maybe don't have those experiences to rely on.
1: Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. Um, we, most of our guests, uh, Ryan have been like heavy technology. We've had a few med device. We had one media guest guy named Trent Staley. Um, he was a swimmer at USC but I think he's on the other side because he worked for like NASCAR, the NBA. Um, and now he's in in the agency side. Can you kind of explain media sales from the perspective of of what you've been doing, right? Viacom cartoon network, true TV, CNN, HBO max. Like what does that world look like? What does the role look like?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I worked in basically we you know a publisher slash media company entities for the majority of, of really the, the entirety of my sales career, and so what we what we have is audiences right, right. we have attention yes um and we call impressions right so uh, we provide opportunities for advertisers and marketers uh, you know it's a very the, very, the sophisticated way of saying it is like to you know to be to be integrated into that experience of attention the 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 really straightforward is people are watching things. There are commercial experiences and sponsorships available for advertisers uh, to be adjacent and to be a part of that. So everything from just your, your standard as a viewer, you watch and you go from your your show into a you know a three to four minute commercial break. Um, those are your standard ads, and then from there there are things you may not even notice as a standard viewer that are sponsorships or places that advertisers are integrated. So that's the world in which I've been operating and trying to sell. And that ecosystem looks like one that we deal primarily with uh, media agencies who sort of plan and execute the actual buying. Yeah. And then, um, as well as the client marketers themselves. Yeah. So if you take, you know, AT and T, their their business is trying to get you to, 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 to buy cell phone, uh, you know, to, to use their cell phone service, um, at least one part of their business. And you know, in that effort, they have marketers whose job it is to you know promote the wares of AT and T's network, the phones, et cetera. And then they hire a media agency whose job it is to execute on those endeavors. So we, we work in that ecosystem and our job is to advocate for the value of our audiences, our level of engagement, and ultimately that spending your money in advertising here as opposed to somewhere else is going to deliver more customers back to you. I,
1: I like the way you described it, how it's like integrating, integrating their brand into the experience that the consumer is really already having. Uh, so I, I have to imagine there's like a, there's a piece to the media sales role where there's some like creativity and like really like thinking broadly of like, well, this is the demographic for this show. This is what this show does. This would be a great brand and this is why. And you're kind of having
0: that yeah. ideation in front of the customer, right? Yeah, no, it's exactly. And that that really differentiated a boss who, who called, you know, commercials that just show up, right? You know, your standard commercials are up, like media by the pound, right? That that's very straightforward. It doesn't take, a, I mean, it does take planning and thoughtfulness about where that commercial, but there, the, the next level of that is what I think great salespeople are doing, which is bringing creative ideas and creative solutions. So when I said I never want to be a salesperson, the reason I've stayed in this career is that it's allowed me to kind of tap into that curious nature and inquisitive nature to think, okay, like what's a strategic solution or idea yeah and is that we're doing every day no maybe not necessarily but you work towards those moments right you work towards those moments where you're able to do something that is beyond just the the standard transaction
1: yeah
0: and and, um you know in sales you ultimately want people to to commit to selling or do something that they otherwise weren't previously doing so there you know there's a way you can just hammer someone over the head and see if that works I, i don't really think that's ever been my my approach it's more about like how can you thoughtfully think about constructing this like continuum to bring someone from a place in some instances where they don't even have, they're not even considering what you're doing, they're not even aware of it. Yeah, and so you introduce awareness, and then you bring them to a place of consideration, and then that's the sort of longest piece of that spectrum, and then ultimately can you get them across that threshold of investment? Yep. So sometimes they're aware of what you do, and they just don't they're not playing to it, or they're playing to do a certain amount, and so you want to grow it. Yep. Otherwise, other times they have no idea what your company is. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I shifted from very recently last year from working at major media companies with brands that are recognizable to nearly universal uh, in their recognition to a, a more emerging media company. That the first question people ask is like, "What is that?" Um, no one in my career before asked me what the what's the NBA, what's Cartoon Network, yeah. What's CNN. Yeah. And so I. I actually, I love this point in my career right now because I have to be ready in a very succinct way, which is not my skill, to be able to respond when someone says, what what's atmosphere in this case? What is that? Yeah. And so to be able to quickly and succinctly tell them what it is, but also hopefully kind of light up their imagination that they ask another question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like how, how you, you said that. It's awareness, consideration, investment. And like, I always call like we, we get a lot of folks that are like high level, like especially like special operators. So like SEALs, Green Berets. And sometimes we lose those folks to con- like management consulting roles. And yeah. I always tell them, I'm like, man, like that's good. They're going to pay you like a good base salary. You're not going to have a lot of control past that. And the reason sales, you make a lot of money is because of the awareness and the investment side. Those are, I call them the indignities of sales. First, you have to get someone's attention. Then the consideration phase, Ryan, is you're a consultant. Your job is to consult, yeah. to understand where they are, understand where they wanna go, figure out where their gaps are, and show them how you fill the gaps. That's what a consultant does. But then at the end, you have to ask for their money. That's the, the
0: second indignity. And that's the piece where a lot of people aren't comfortable, no. right? It's, the, you, I, I think you have to be, you know, speaking specifically of the sales role, there's an element of it that you ultimately, you know, a lot of people, I'll, I'll say this a lot of times, I'll, I'll walk out and say, so oh, that was a great meeting. And I love to be contrarian, like, why? Like, why was that a great meeting? Because we had like a, we, we talked about like what we did last weekend or like, oh, I didn't know you lived there. And I had a beach house there one time. Like that, that, that's a fun conversation. That's make it a great meeting. Yeah. But if you go back to that continuum, to me, a great meeting means it moved you further along that continuum. And ultimately, that last piece where you get to investment, sometimes it happens naturally, but a lot of times you so, you know, or you got to ask people tough questions that make people uncomfortable, right? You got to say like, hey, I I would love an honest, direct answer. Like, are you evaluating this, right? Like, is this something that you would actually consider the next time that you do a budget? Because in the media world, too, budgets are not constant, right? You do a lot of work preparing and laying a foundation before even a, a budget is available. And so you have to ask these questions. And even I'd say another great I mean, I just think this is one of the most important qualities of a human being, but to have a high sense of self-awareness. Yes. You have to have a you have to have a sense of self-awareness for yourself personally, but also for your, your business journey yeah. and that sales journey. Where are you sitting? Ask the question. And, and and what's unfortunate is a lot of people, even on the other side of that, are uncomfortable like being put in that spot but i'm sorry if your job is if you're going to buy something and you're in that position like it's somewhat of a prerequisite that you need to be able to answer uh, a, a question honestly about where you know that if, if you've taken the time to meet with someone unless they're a total clown they they deserve you know a, a a very candid answer totally uh and and i'd say even if they are a clown an even more candid answer to tell them that that's the only way they get better yeah. and again athletes, Sometimes we're like, oh, do you want me to get, I'm like, yes, feedback, please. Like we are so used to constructive criticism. In fact, a lot of athletes grow people just screaming at them. Um, But, you know, so I I think that's another aspect that I think athletes can thrive in. Like you you not only can deal with constructive criticism, you're actually, many seek it out. Like I I actively ask my my boss all the time, like, hey, what do you think about that? Can you do something better? What are your thoughts? Yeah. And, and why would you ever dance around it? Like you need to be respect. I try to, as a leader, try to provide, always be respectful and, um, you know, in a, in a way that demonstrates like caring and empathy, but yet very directly yes. provide feedback for people Correct. Um, as well. And so they understand where they stand, strengths, weaknesses, what you need to work on. Otherwise you just keep going aimlessly, right. Without getting any better there, there's a, what some people feel to, fail to understand
1: is there's a difference between being nice and being kind. And I think candor is kind, like, yeah. so you might have to tell somebody they suck sometimes and yeah. good people are going to want to hear that. They're going to want to know the truth, not, you know, they're not just going to want to be told, Oh, good job. See you later. Right. So that's awesome. And, and you were talking about how, in media sales, like the ideation part, like that's the fun part, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a line from Mad Men, where uh, one of uh, Dawn Draper's like account executives is complaining about the minutia and the and, and he says to her, he goes, that's, that's what the money's for. The money yeah, isn't yeah. for the the cool pitch meetings and the dinners and the yeah. entertaining the money's for all this other stuff,
0: right? Yeah. When no one's looking, right. It's, it's no different. I know we keep bringing it up. It's no different than when you're, you know, like, are you out there training when no one's looking, right? Are you playing? And are you, are you refining your craft when it's not a scheduled practice? It's the same thing in, in business and in sales. Um, that to your point, I don't know. And I find like, do you kind of relish that? Like, do I always want to be doing it? No, but there, you know, it's, you don't truly get success without building that. No. Uh, you know, without, without building that in and, and working towards that. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like a lot of people love the view from the mountaintop, but not the people that get there are the ones that enjoy the process of climbing it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, we're going to pivot a little bit for the, uh, for the, the audience that's making the transition, right? So you got a senior, they call you from Williams and they're like, I, I think I might want to do sales, Ryan, what, what are you asking them? What's that conversation look like to make sure that, that,
0: that, that it's going to be a good fit for them? Yeah. So you didn't ask this, but I'll still answer Okay. is that when I will say like, just to the audience who might be watching this, when you pick up that phone call and you ask for someone's time, be prepared and have a focused reason for calling. That doesn't mean it has to, it's like any other means that to stay on that track, but, you know, you want to demonstrate that not only do you do a little homework, but you have a purpose in what you're doing. And it, it, it doesn't mean you have to know exactly what you want to do. Right. But you can have a purpose of discovery for the meeting. Yes. What are the types right. of things you can say? So, and hey, you know, Ryan, I'm calling you because this is what I'd love to understand. Or this is what I'm thinking about. Are there aspects of your journey? I, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. But I often get, you know, there are times like calls from folks. And they, they're almost expecting me to talk. Which I know. I can clearly do a lot of but that's not the point. Like, the point is if you're, uh, like, what, what is most valuable for you? And plus, if, if you're looking for someone, like, I will be most impressed and I will be looking to eagerly help someone. If I can see someone who has some focus and who's looking to build off of each, you know, incremental conversation that they have. So I'm looking for someone who has a focused conversation. My recommendation, you know, is for, for people to be, think about like, how can when you call someone like, how can that person? um, What do you think the utility is of calling that person, and building a relationship with them? Uh, And, you know, again, don't be afraid. Like, I I always tell people, like, you should walk out of a conversation when you call someone if you're if you're, you know, in networking and building with um, one or two additional people, that they're recommending you call, or that they're going to make an introduction for you. I even forgot your original question. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm, listen, I'm glad
1: you brought that up. Actually, we, we've developed a curriculum because because for underclassmen specifically, because one of my regrets about going to Holy Cross is I met some incredible people my four years there, whether it was alumni, sp- boosters, you know, teammates, parents, right, is a great example. Yeah. Yep. Never, never had the conversations I should have had you know like like you're talking about
0: and and i did that yeah yeah dude you that's a really mature 18 to 22 year old who's totally have those conversations totally totally but
1: there's something to be said for the 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 opportunity yeah. to teach kids how to how to have those conversations and i don't think there's no curriculum in colleges that's doing that that's why we built it um so that's i'm glad you brought that up the question was kid does call he is dialed in and he and he says the reason I'm calling Ryan is I'm thinking about sales and I wanted yeah.
0: to get your thoughts.
1: How's that conversation look? Uh,
0: I, I think what I, again, I want to, you know, the, the question is, is why are you thinking about sales? Again, like what, what's your motivation? Where are you coming from? it? Like I came from it from a place of when I laid out those quality characteristics, I wanted a, a, a really motivated and driven environment that at the same point was collaborative. And I would also ask, like, what are your, what are your interests? Because there are lots of things that you can sell. Um, You're typically going to be much more successful if there's something that you are curious or interested about. Yeah. And so someone says, like, I'm interested in sales. So like, what, 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 my, my kind of first question would be like, okay, great. Like, I didn't know that when I was your age. And what's, what's leading you to think that you're interested in sales? Yeah. Um, and you know, to one, you can sort of, reinforce certain things or two, even maybe dispel some even rumors or, or, or misunderstandings um, about what that, you know, what that could be. But I think when someone's asking that question, again, want to understand my story, like, great, what's driving you to this? Like, what led you to, to think this? What, what qualities and characteristics do you want out of a job? And understanding if those things may match up with what I've seen in, in at least a, a sales career?
1: Yeah, yeah, there, there is a obviously that's we we spend all day having these conversations and and what i find is is i have to there's a balancing act because on one side they have the used car salesmen high pressure tactics pitching products lying in their vision and then on the other side with social media there's a lot of content out there about how sales is an easy way to make a lot of money and work remote and
0: know that's yeah it's a great you know so to your point like why do you want this They said, well hey like i think it's i you know i think it's probably a you know a high ceiling opportunity i'm like okay like it might be at some point i I know i'm old but i I, you know i was also making you know forty thousand dollars when i was you know 31 years old so yeah yeah um you know you you have to work towards it and that that's okay yes yes that that is you look the level maturity someone says hey I am, I'm comfortable in sales, Like when you're almost looking for someone says like, I want to be in sales because I want to be driven. I, I have my, I know I have sort of innate ambition that's going to motivate me. I don't need someone else to motivate me and I can deal with failure. Yeah. I'm like, okay, yep. You're ready. Like you're, you're ready, sir. Yep, yep. The resiliency is,
1: I don't care how good you are at sales. Me and you have both been doing it for a long time. I consider myself pretty good. I've lost way more, way more than I've won. And that's just Part of the, part of the deal. It's what the money's for. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you, you have to be comfortable. like You have to be comfortable. So I'm going to get back up. Like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Just, you know, that doesn't mean they don't sting. Some you really thought we're going to, and that could make a difference for your family, that type of stuff. I mean, that there's moments that are hurt, but, um, you know, there's, if, if you're persistent over duration and you're committed to refining a craft, the other thing about sales is like, it's a craft. Yeah. Right. You, you have to refine it. You have to constantly, I just told my team this yesterday or two days ago, as we were thinking of you know, our end of year kind of gathering was we've had a lot of success this year. I'm super proud, but I want everyone to think, you know, I want everyone to, to, to cherish that success as you should. I want everyone to get some downtime with the holidays, but I also want you to think about how am I going to commit to this craft next year? Right. Yeah. What are, what are skills, and areas of development where I want to like lean in, learn from others, ask for coaching, commit to practicing more.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it's just like sports, man. You ha- you have to get better every single day. Like if you're not, you're you're not growing. You're dying. Um, yeah. What what is a good? What's like characteristics of a good first company for your first sales job? Right. We have kids that get wrapped around the axle yeah. on like in office first, remote or five, 5k here, 5k there. And I'm, I always push back and I have my kind of key things. What are your key things for that first company?
0: Yeah, I would say those first two are probably, you know, I guess there's an element to being remote if you really feel like it. Um, but I, I will tell you that if anything, um, being around people is such an incredible benefit to you that I would I would sort of rethink why you want to be remote totally and and you know what there there are valid reasons for wanting to be remote Um, I'm not gonna and my team as a flexible you know approach to things but I will tell you I benefited immensely from being around others so the question you asked is like what what do you want to see in that environment I think first and foremost you know it's important to like kind of you want to do as much as you can. To read and understand people that you'll be working with and around, right? Um, and and understand and, and try to ascertain like what is the environment? How does a how does a company? Here's a, here's a great thing I think that we always try, try to How does a company remove friction amongst its salespeople? Meaning, how how do they ensure like I wanted I wanted um, like committed, motivated, but collaborative. Yes, driven but collaborative. <laughs> Like you know, not I don't want to be on my island. I want to be the you know the, the salesperson that's just working on their own and feel like I'm competing with the person at my company. I want to feel like I'm competing alongside him, and that we are truly teaming. So, how does a company ensure that there isn't friction and overlap? How do they promote continuity and 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 uh, you know that collaboration amongst people and you know? Obviously, any company that doesn't have good answers for that, one, run from. Yes. Two, many of them are going to have good answers, and the question is, is it reality? So try to talk to people. Say, I would always ask, like, hey, can I talk to people who would be my colleagues? Are so the people can I can talk to and that currently do this job? Like, always try to do that. Um, and pick their brain and understand, you know, what motivates them in their job. What do they feel are the drawbacks? Because what they feel are drawbacks, you might actually be totally acceptable with too. So it's not like yeah, you know, what some people have red flags, but like oh, I'm, someone might be like, yeah, like they don't give us free lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, so you you have to like do as much investigation as possible. I would also start to like y- you can. This seems a little hokey, but like also try to find out how long people stick around that company. Do people get promoted? What's the next job that you are going to get promoted to? And you you don't want to ask in the nature of like, how long is it going to take me to get there? You want to say like, hey, if I'm committed, I demonstrate proficiency over an appropriate time. Is this company committed to pushing people on and, and supporting them and helping them develop their career? How, like, who are there examples of people who have, you know, moved their career through a single company? Yeah, uh, I, I know the mentality of folks, you know, I again, I don't want to stereotype, but I, I saw staying in a long co- at a company for a long time is a really big virtue. It's not necessarily the, the predominant mindset now. But if a company is constantly cycling through people, uh, that, 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 that to me is a very scary scenario. You don't have to stay there, but at least the company is providing a way to, to promote it. So understand, uh, you know, I, you're going to be asked a lot of questions. I would try to talk to your direct manager and say, hey, how do you deal with challenging situations? Or ask him. You know, they're going to ask you a lot of questions, be like, hey, what's the like most difficult situation you had recently amongst your employees and how to get resolved? Yeah. Don't be afraid. You know, like, again, tone and approach is a big thing. Big time. Right. You have to combat things with a, with a sense of humbleness and say, hey, I just, I'm very curious. I, yeah. I want to understand, yeah. like, would you, are you comfortable answering this? Yeah. Um, you know, you don't, I think if you can be disarming, humble about how you approach things, and then those types of questions are very much okay.
1: I agree. I mean, they're going to expect examples from you when you tell them you're a good teammate, or you're resilient, or you're coachable. Yeah, it's it's okay to ask them, like, "Oh, yeah, we have a very yeah. big focus on growth and development." Oh, you do? That's awesome. That's what I'm looking for. Can you give me some examples of what you mean by that? Yeah, you know, again, yeah. the way you ask definitely matters. You don't want to like we do. We have some candidates that come in and they're interviewing the company before they've like sold themselves. So you got to kind of. Yeah. You got to time that like time that process correctly, but it's really good
0: advice. Um, Even interviewing to your point is practicing. Right? Yeah. Doing more interviews. You start to learn a cadence too. You're, you're not going to be perfect at interviewing the first few times you do it. No. So don't expect yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. This has been awesome. I We ask, this is like our final question. We ask every guest this. People ask me all the time. Why, JR, why do you just focus on athletes and veterans? And my answer is because I don't need to explain to these people what it means to be dialed in because every great seller that worked for me, if I were to, or I worked with, or I worked for, if someone were to ask me to describe them, I'm saying, oh, they're dialed in, they're, they they're, they're dialed in. So what does that mean to you to be dialed in as a sales professional?
0: It, it it means uh, uh, to me di- being dialed in means like a, a, a commitment to the shared goal yes and you know a, a relentlessness and a commitment to achieving it. and know it like it's it's a comprehension when you're dialed in to know that the path isn't necessarily going to be easy um, and that it's it's it that's the in- that's the intent if it was easy everyone have a, this type of job or any type of job, right? Like, so it's being dialed in means I'm not only focused and I understand it's like, it's a cognitive recognition of what is the goal? What's my job? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to be contributing to this team? For some people, it's closing the deal. For some people, it's like a, more of like an SDR role. It's like, it's just opening doors, yeah. right? And so if I'm dialed in, I know what my job is. I'm not, yes, You want to, you you always want to be able to contribute more and take on more. But the most important thing is understanding what you're supposed to do most specifically. How are you supposed to contribute? And then a comfort to know that it's not meant to be easy. They're hiring you because they see some qualities in yourself to be able to overcome the obstacles and adversity that present itself in this job. So if you're dialed in, I know know what you need me to do, coach. Like I'm not the, I'm not the starting eleven. Yeah. But I'm the, I'm going to be the first guy off the bench and I'm going to, I am going to raise the level of intensity at that moment of the match when I enter, right? Athletically. I'm not the guy who's getting all the kudos and the applause when it closes. I'm the guy opening the doors. Yeah. And that's my job for right now. And I'm going to do this job absolute, like in a, in a fashion that's absolutely committed. And I'm not going to fall apart as soon as like something, you know, props up, jumps up in front of me that makes it a little bit harder or really hard. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I love it. That's that's a great answer. Um, this was awesome. Thank you so much. I, I the, the history that we have is is unique for a guest, and and, I, and I'm re- I'm really glad we we stayed on point. But this was an awesome conversation. Thank you for giving yeah. us your time.
0: It was, and it again shows the value of a of a relationship. And you never know when relationships will be in, in one facet at one place and very different in another. I, I, if you, i certainly never thought I'd be on your podcast. How many years ago that was? <laughs> it wasn't even podcast back then. So, uh, but it, it, it's been fun, and, and yeah, again, the, some of that shared unique history. A um, lot of lot of great moments in, in Ash Storm. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> oh, thank you for coming, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Jar. It was wonderful. Thanks for thanks for inviting me on.
1: This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.